Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape the future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right, on this very special episode, you're going to learn a lot. We're gonna talk about marketing to get the right employees. We're gonna talk about how Mike does this really crazy Wi-Fi trick to get more people buying his books at conferences, how he's getting in more speaking engagements, how he's, how he's marketing, and his dad framework. I've got a whole list of other things you're gonna learn, but Mike Michalowicz, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. It's been a joy, thanks, Ian. And uh, don't forget, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to inspire your employees to market anything and market your business is through your customer stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com to learn how we can help you collect, craft, and deliver those video case stories. And it's great to talk to you, you know, and, and there's so much great information out there. You know, he's written a book called Profit First, which I think is critical for everyone about actually keeping the money um, and fix this next. And he has a book coming out about employment engagement. Um, but Mike, you know, what drives you to keep put, putting out these books? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a kind of manic about it. Yeah. Well, it's my own experience as an entrepreneur. I faced a reality about 15 years ago that even though I was successful as an entrepreneur outwardly, I had so, so many failing spots. One was I had no financial acuity whatsoever. Secondly, I didn't know how to manage a team well. Uh, I didn't know how to market effectively, all these things. And uh, I kind of had an awakening to that. And from that point forward, I said, I got to fix these things. Honestly, every book I write, my, my own selfish interest is it stuff I need to learn and master for myself, codify it in a way that, that I can use it and deploy it. And then if it can serve other people, that's, that's the big bonus. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, what I love about the books, like all of them is you do a great job of storytelling in them. It's they're Thank you. full of stories and they're humorous too. They're, you know, they're entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I love joking around. Yeah. There's a lot of joking around. I think, you know, it's great. I listen to the audiobooks, so I feel like I, you know, know you so well because I've spent like 40 hours in the car with you. <laughs> Listening to this velvety, nasally voice. <laughs> um, but how do you, you know, because storytelling is key to us at videocastory.com and, and you know, collecting stories and using them. And, I, you know, you have to have some intent. How do you collect and decide what stories you're going to use in your marketing and business? Well, uh, and this is not my saying. I think it was Les Brown who said, never tell a story without a message and never give a message without a story. That in the books, there are certain principles I want to convey. And if I just did it like it was a college course, I don't know if we would remember it. I, I don't look back at college and say, oh, yeah, that was a transformative statement. I don't remember a single thing my professor said. I just learned how to pass the tests. And I, I would argue the knowledge they departed was very important. I do remember from grade school, there was one teacher, Dr. Johnson, DJ Johnson, and uh, he was our history teacher. And DJ, Mr. DJ, would um, act out the Revolutionary War. So one day we walked in, he's dressed like a red coat, and he's marching as we're walking to the class. And he gets the whole class marching. And then he suddenly tears off his stuff and he puts on this ragtag stuff, and now he's the revolutionaries. And I'll never forget it. It was so engaging. And it, it, what I realized is he imprinted a picture on my mind, and I assume the other students, that 
made this realization that when I write a concept, and I always start off with a concept, I have to find stories that really make it so vivid and relatable that we feel the experience. I think hearing a third party story is interesting, like watching a movie or something, but I think it's even more relatable when we say, oh, that's a reflection of me. So I try to always make my stories that when a person is reading it or listening to it, they can see themselves living in that story. And I think then the, the concept will stick. Nice. And you say that, like, how do you decide which story to use? Or do you have a, them listed out or you go, you know, you're like, I need this concept. Let me go find a story. B- both. So I, it's funny, just before you hopped on, I was in my OneNote system, which is like Evernote, it's Microsoft's version. And I'm just plugging in these stories I, I just heard recently. I don't know what value they have or where I'll use them in the future, but I'm plugging them in. That being said, I can pull from historical stories maybe 50% of the time when I'm writing a book. The other 50%, I need to find a story. It's probably more like 75% I need to find. And what I do in those cases, I will reach out to my community and say, hey, does anyone know someone that's experienced X, Y, Z so I can get their story? Secondly is, you know, the internet is such a great tool, the the research. Um, I love rabbit holing. I I know that there's dangers of it when it's a distraction, but... um, just this morning, I was rabbit holing on the concept of communication and discovered um, something historical about how a military uh, unit only had one-way communication and actually how it compromised their ability because they didn't have any back communication. It's like, oh, this is really interesting. So um, rabbit holes, in, at least in my case, when it comes to storytelling, are very valuable. Love it. and Yeah, I think that's great. And I love your focus on stories because I think – when I mean, you, anyone that hasn't read the books, go read the books because I can tell you the concepts behind them. I could, I'm sure Mike could give, teach you to them, but they're great books because they're great stories over and over again. And I like that you have so much intention but fluidity in the stories. Um, so now you get into marketing with the stories, and I think you know how are you deciding now what's the best marketing, where to spend marketing in, in for your business. Because, you know, I think there's two, Fix This Next is an amazing way to decide what to do next, when to do marketing. And Profit First is a great way to budget it and think and make sure you're making money from it. But doing those two things, how are you deciding what to do next? Experiments. So I'm, I'm very cautious about going into a marketing plan without first experimenting and achieving um, a validation that something is working or not. Um, and, and being very cautious about what I call data sets of one. So I'll unpack that a little bit. Um, right now, I'm, I actually just started a new marketing campaign um, for my own speaking. A lot of real estate agencies in, are, are engaging my services to be a keynote speaker. So my speaking agent said, hey, why don't we get a lot more speaking agencies right now because we can kind of line these up and you'll be in flow. So we started a new marketing campaign, but we started off with experiments. So um, the first experiment we're doing that we started off yesterday is just personalized videos from me using a tool like BombBomb or Bonjuro, where it, it's it's not radically different, but it's disruptive for many people received an email with a video that, that's atypical. They usually receive emails that are sans uh, any kind of content, but just text. I mean, there's no video built into it. So we're trying it out. But what data significance is, is do a test of, in our case, at least 100 to see what the response is. If I just sent out one, I call that a data set of one, and someone engaged, 
I could have, and I do have the propensity to say, oh my gosh, I only sent out one email with this video engaged and, and, and people engaged in it. Clearly, this is 100% success rate. I found the solution and then go all in it and that's a mistake. Conversely, a data set of one could point to the reverse. I send out one email with one video in it and no one responds. I'm like, this is clearly a bad campaign. No, you know, we have to achieve data significance, meaning there has to be a probabilistic uh, viewpoint of the future based upon the set we've targeted. So I'm trying that out. I don't know if that's going to work, but then we're going to try other experiments, maybe a lumpy mail campaign, but something that's unique, uh, maybe leveraging our network. But we, we do all these experiments to find what's working. And once we have data significance, then it becomes part of our plan and we, we double down on it. Nice. Nice. And I think that's, yeah, I, I love that you do that. Now, are you running multiple tests of these at once or are you like one at yep. a time? No, no, uh, multiple tests, uh, but to different groups. So we have a group of 100 real estate agency representatives, if you will, that we're targeting with this one campaign. We will run other campaigns um, simultaneously. In this one case, we're only running one currently because there's not this urgency. But you can double down. The thing is, don't I, I'm not, I don't want to hit the same set of people with the same marketing campaign because then it's hard to figure out cause and effect. If, if I send out a lumpy mail and a video and something and I start getting responses, well, which one triggered it? Or was it the necessary to have the combination to get attention? But then I, I don't know which one has the most leverage. So what we do do, though, is if we're targeting different segments, real estate agents is one case, but we're also doing some other campaigns. Um, if we're targeting different seg segments, we can be doing all these different experiments simultaneously. So it's not one and done. It's, it's usually... Uh, multiple to one community. In this case, it's one and done for now. Um, but at any given time, we have many experiments going on um, and some crazy stuff. I'll actually share one more with you just to give you a concept because, you know, a, a video and email is pretty lame. I'm going to speak at a speaking conference. Uh, a speaking conference. I'm going to speak at a conference. For, I'm the keynote tomorrow in, uh, in South Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, uh, what I'm doing is, and we've been testing this for a while, I'm bringing a hotspot that, uh, you know, a wireless hotspot that when the wireless hotspot name says buy profit first, because that's what I'm keynoting on, on Amazon. That's literally the hotspot name. Because what we notice when we've been testing is when you go to a conference, everyone hops on their phone when they arrive in the morning or trying to hop on the Wi-Fi, which is the hotel's Wi-Fi. So what I do is I just bring my bag, I plop it down at AV and say, hey, can I leave this for a day? I'm a speaker. They say yes. There's an activated wireless access point along with a battery to keep it charged. And we've done this before. I've had people come up to me and say, you wouldn't believe this. This event is marketing your book. <laughs> and uh, when I try to hop on the Wi-Fi, they're talking about your book. I'm like, wow. So that's something that we've doubled down on because we had a little bit of results, but we're, we're not at data significance yet. So we're just going to keep testing that before that becomes a standard operating procedure. That's pretty cool. And, and what, you know, what is the, what will be the result that you say this works? So the more measurable, the better. So if I could say, oh, people are buying books as a result of this, uh, and, and I can tell how many, that's the measurable result. Right now, we have a much more subjective measurement. How many people are making mention of it? So I just write down, you know, three people out of the 500 in this room said something. That's very subjective because I don't know how many people saw it. So the next stage of this, if this seems to be working, and, you know, the other thing we're measuring too is our investment. A wireless access point costs 25 bucks on Amazon. A battery, I actually got it for free as a gift. So it, the, the cost is very low. 
The next consideration is if we have enough traction, we think it's worth investing more, then we're going to see, can we set up that wireless access point that when someone clicks on it, it, it goes to a blank page that says, get your copy of Profit First here, click here uh, to access Wi-Fi. Kind of like if you're in an airport when those splash pages come up. That'll be our next investment. And the reason we have to do that then is, to your point, to get a very quantifiable measurable. Then we'll know exactly how many people are clicking through to look at the book. Oh, man. You know, it's so funny. You're, you gave, you told me this, and now my, my mind was like, okay, stay focused, because I'm already like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> I was going to exploit it. Well, here's the funny thing, Ian. Like, I, I started this maybe three months ago, and I've told a half dozen people, and they're like, oh, my God, it's so simple. It's so cheap. And then they don't do it. And I'm like, I, no one else. I'm, am I the only person doing it? There is an inherent fear to doing something different. And the, the pushback I got, I said, hey, you, you thought it was such a great idea. Why aren't you doing it? Well, I might be embarrassed. What if what if someone comes up to me and says, what are you doing? And just say, I set up a WAP. If they don't compliment you for your genius and they shame you, just turn it off. It's, it's shocking to me how many people hear a different marketing idea, think it's a great idea, and they think it's not suited for them because there's this fear to be recognized, even though we need to be recognized. Oh my God, that's so true. That yeah. I mean, the, the fear of being recognized with the with the first the need to. So yeah, it's called humanity. It's the, yeah. it's the worst. Of it. <laughs> um, and you know, I think cause I grew up with like, hey, it, my parents were just in like they marketed and and so it was like everything was embarrassing. So I, I think I just got used to it. But how That's do good. you overcome that? Like that feeling, because you're, I mean, you're a published author. You've got a reputation to uphold, you know. Yeah, you, you've got to, you've got to stay cool for your Harvard uh, friends, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any Harvard friends, but yeah, yeah. So I have um, certain rules. I call them immutable laws because meaning immutable, non-changeable laws or rules I must abide by. And I I tell myself every morning. If I'm consistent with my immutable laws, if I'm truly consistent with them and not in violation, um, everything's okay, even if it doesn't resonate with people. I do regularly get this pushback, like, that was stupid, or you're an idiot, or I don't believe in this, or you're making fun of, well, how can you use humor in a book about profitability? <laughs> and um, w when that happens, there used to be a deep sting, like, oh, I really messed this one up. But I've kind of transformed the dialogue to myself, I say, you know, I, I get it. I'm not for them. I am not for them. And, and they are right from their vantage point. But we should depart ways because there is a community that it's resonating with. And that's the other side. I, I have set up, I call them affirmation loops. So throughout all my books, I invite people to engage with me. And I get emails now. Every 15 minutes, I probably hear from a reader around the clock. It's constant. It's, it's the most beautiful experience. And just People saying, I'm reading your book, and it's how it's transforming your life, and this is what I'm doing. And each one is just another push forward, like just to keep standing out and being recognized. Congruent with who I am, but be um, but be consistent with services community because it's working. Mm -hmm. that's, that's amazing. And yeah, they, I, I, I remember those, and I don't think I ever emailed you. Uh <laughs> that's okay. I'll but, get you next year, Randy. You're here. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and it is fantastic. Now, coming back to the books. Now, looking at it sounds like you're testing marketing constantly and you know your book Fix This Next, which I think is fantastic. It's deciding what to do next in yeah. in fixing your business. And yeah. How are you balancing that? Because I mean, for me, otherwise I'm just thinking about marketing all the time and it's like I'm not 
you know, fixing sales or fixing this or fixing this. How are you personally deciding to keep that balance and fix this next? Yeah. So the, the fix, I use the fix this next system. Actually, if I can swing my camera around, it's right over my light here. Um, I have it in front of me. So I believe there's five layers of needs a business has. So sales and marketing is the foundational, you know, it generates revenue, but then you need sustained profitability. You need efficiency in the organization and it keeps on going. The point is all these elements are happening at all times in our business. Like your business has to be creating money to be sustained. It has to have at least enough profitable, profitably to be surviving check by check. Um, hopefully, it has a lot more to be giving you a life of comfort. But for many businesses, it's check to check survival. So there's enough there just to get by and so forth. What we then do is we look at these and we have to evaluate. And there's a, a tool in the book I have to do it. But basically, ask ourselves, where's the weakest link? Um, so we, we just have to be uh, look at the numbers behind everything. Well, our sales and marketing, you know, we're yielding 10 prospects a week and and they're they're converting, but we're not profitable. Um, and historically, I was I had five prospects coming in a week and we weren't profitable. And before that, we had three prospects and we weren't profitable. So I've proven that by amplifying my marketing efforts, I'm still not profitable. Maybe I have a profit problem. And that's the weakest link. And we go there and say, you know, do we have the margins in place? Do we have a pay yourself first principle, that's what profit first is, applied to the business to protect ourselves from, from using money that's really not there for any other reason besides profit. So the, the, the analogy I use is like a chain. If there was a chain between me and you, and our job is to make it stronger, the mistake, Ian, would be say, let's just fix everything. Let's make everything stronger. Or, or that one link, which is marketing, let's just keep on ramping that up. That, that'll make it stronger. It never does because the chain will continue to snap wherever the weakest link is. So the one way to strengthen the entire chain is not to fix all the links or focus on one. First, identify what the weakest link is, then repair that one, strengthen it, and the entire chain's rigidity has improved. Now, the next weakest link will present itself. You fix that one and everything improves. So it's a little bit like that whack-a-mole game. You got to see what, what problem's presenting itself most, you know, identify, hit that one down, and a new one will present itself. That's the process. Gotcha. Gotcha. And for you, what right now, what are you, what part are you working on? It seems like, yeah, you're working on this. Is it getting more speaking engagements or? Yeah, that's something we're working on was the sales and marketing. But the main kind of institutional thing we're doing is working at the efficiency level again. So I, I'm an author, so I have a very small business, but we have eight employees now and we're about to go to 10 uh, on Monday. And it's, it's throwing all, you know, for that's not much. Like you're writing two people. But it is significant when you say, oh, you're growing by 20%. That's like Google saying tomorrow, 20, they have 100,000 employees. 20,000 are joining on Monday. Like it, It's a shock to the system for any size business when you look at the percentages. So we're gonna, we have already some efficiency problems, and we need to improve that. So we are kind of revamping that. So our, our institutional, our group focus is make the company as efficient as possible. That's our focus. These other plates are still spinning. And, and I'm I'm doing some stuff with speaking, but that's not my that's not our company's core concentration for the next quarter, at least. Gotcha. And and so, and you you have a book coming out on hiring and inspiring yeah. and, and 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 training employees. Yeah. Tell me how that what's going on in there and how that's affecting what you're doing right now. Yeah, oh, I'm super psyched about. I, I get super psyched about every book I'm writing. This how it came about was I got uh, an email stream email questions from my readership. And I, I just look for these common threads over, this starts about five, six years ago, but I started seeing people saying, okay, I'm profitable. Uh, I know what to do in my business. I need 
um, a way to to hire great talent and keep them on board. And the common phraseology was, "I wish uh, employees would act like owners." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's almost a good that's a good title. Employees acting like owners." So okay, and I started researching this and I started testing it. What I found is there's this concept called psychological ownership. The initial studies started back in the 70s, but it's really never been deployed. And the best analogy I could use is when we feel we own something, the way we treat it holistically amplifies. So so here's the, the story, right? You always have a story behind the concept. Here's the story or the analogy. Um, Ian, the last time you rented the car, I don't know if it's similar to me. I rented from Hertz. And I don't know if you go through this, but... I, I get to the uh, off the plane and you go to the Hertz booth. And you got to wait for like an hour for the two people in front of you. Like the wait is so ridiculously long, it's unbelievable. <laughs> then they fill out that stupid form. You sign like a hundred different spots. They try to upsell you into everything. You know, you, oh, you need the GPS. Like who needs a freaking GPS nowadays? You, you know, you need the insurance. Finally, you get the key, and I'm like, okay, it's mine. You show your license and so. Then I walked out and then he said, oh, you have to check. Now that I'm like outside the building, there's another booth where I had to say, now I'm outside the building. Here's all my paperwork. And they had to go and review it again and confirm it's the right key. So I was like, okay. So that's another 20 minutes. Then I go to the car in parking lot, you know, 72,000. It's like a mile away. I get in the car, ready to drive out. And I got stopped again at that booth with the gate and the spikes. And they're like, we need to check your license again. Like, like who's going to steal a Toyota Sienna? But whatever. <laughs> So then I pull out, and the first thing I did, and I wonder if you do the same, is I munched down so hard on that gas pedal, I wanted to see if I could peel out this little minivan. <laughs> I hit the corners hard. I'm crunching the brake. I'm revving the engine. I'm doing everything. In a case where we rent something, where we're given temporary possession, we're given a list of compliance requirements. Make sure you turn it with you know filled tank. Make sure there's no scratches or dents. Make sure it's clean inside. When we're forced to comply, it is our nature to defy. So I was like, okay, let me let me teach Hertz a little lesson here. I'm going to show them how you drive a car for real. Now <laughs> compare this to I have a little pickup truck at home, and um, I just went for like a, it was a long drive, like a 400 mile drive. At the end of the drive, I can't believe I did this. I pulled in, and before I got out of the car, I patted the dashboard and I said, "Good girl." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" Now here's what's interesting. Um, I don't. I took toll. I take toll care of my my little pickup truck. I uh, I don't beat it up. Uh, if there's a scratch, I'll try to buff it out. I want to take care of this thing. Uh, I definitely don't munch on that gas pedal. I don't definitely don't crunch the brakes. The interesting thing is there's psychological ownership to that vehicle, and I don't even own it. The bank owns it. I'm making payments to the bank, but the bank owns it. But my mind feels it's my possession. When we feel something is ours, our behavior radically changes to caring and, and development of it. And the beautiful thing is we can implement this with our employees. So in, in the book, I'm teaching how to deploy psychological ownership, where people feel that that they are in control, that they have the uh, ability to bring whatever their responsibility list is to, to the magnificence that they see for it. That's the important thing. They're not given a task list, do this, do that, because they will comply and defy but instead, they're given the freedom to make choice of where they want to move their field of ownership forward, and it's transformative. But the other thing is they holistically become transformed. They don't just care about what they're doing. They care about the company. It starts now becoming my company or our company, not your company, and uh, that's what psychological ownership is, and that's the essence, the heart of this book. I love it. I love it because, I mean, that that's 
you know, I think that's every entrepreneur's dream. Every business owner's dream is that people will care as much as they do. Correct. Correct. And, and the, the, the only notable difference, um, psychologically is that as an owner, we feel implied ownership. We care about it all. Our employees are given a job. We have to give them ownership of segments of the business. Now, here's the, here's the one other thing that's very important. I'm not saying actual equity, like cash equity. There's an ironic twist. If we give an employee equity in the business, like shares, it actually can trigger entitlement and disable or disarm their commitment to the company. And, and here's a great example. I own stock in Ford. So I have legal ownership in Ford. I own 100 shares. I have no sense of psychological ownership. That's not my company. Of course not. I have nothing to do with it. I just want them to make some money and I want them to send me money. I could care less about Ford. And that's what happens in like ESOPs and other programs where employees are like, it doesn't happen with all companies. You have to do it correctly. But for many companies, they say, now you own equity, Ian. You have 1%. Bring your A game. And you're like, F you. You bring your A game. Make me money. So there's a difference between psychological ownership and legal ownership. That's that's a very interesting differentiation because yeah. I think and we try so hard to motivate with money like that when it's not that you know and, and I mean and they've shown like up to after seventy five thousand it's like there's a little increase in their happiness with how much they're making you know I I look at this as a marketing thing because you you have to market to your employees. Right. You Correct. Ha you, you have to build some value in what you want them to do. And one of the ways Correct. we do it is like is um, I tell clients all the time, show your customer stories. Right. Show show the success stories, like the transformative stories that employees helped with. Um, it, it, what are some other ways that we can market to employees to make them have this psychological ownership? Well, you, you do it right from the get go. So you do it during the recruiting stage. And uh, one thing is you market culture uh, or environment over the perfunctory benefits. So I'll give you an example. We do it in our, the title of our ads for, for employees. Like the, the lead ad we did, um, we were looking for an IT person. It said, a Star Wars nerd? Question mark. That was our freaking title. And it said, um, first of all, Darth Vader kind of does rule, and we all know it. Um, secondly, if you love Star Wars as much as us, do you love technology as much as we need you to? And then we started playing into the position. But right from the get-go, we presented our culture. And the people responded and said, holy mother F, this was like no other ad I've seen. It caught my attention. And it spoke to me. And that's that's the key of effective marketing. I actually have a framework. I have a book called Get Different where I talk about marketing and the framework. And the three elements are as follows. First, you must differentiate. Break from the noise of everyone else. That's how you get noticed. But the second, it must have A, it must be attractive. I mean, the person that sees it says, oh, this is for me. Finally, I found something for me. And the last D in this dad framework is direct. Now they have this knowledge, tell them what to do. And I think that's the essence of effective marketing. Love it. For employees or for anything. Yeah, for anything, but I, I think it's great. It's so funny because we actually use the office in ours. We're like, do you love the office? Because if you don't, you shouldn't come working here. <laughs> You're right. 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 Because that's why I, I can say all that. That's what she said jokes without getting brought up with HR. Um, <laughs> that's funny. This is amazing. I, I know you got to go. This has been fantastic. So um, we'll send everyone. Uh, what's the best website to find out all of your books and, and really to follow, a place to follow you? Oh, well, here's another little marketing technique. So it's it's my website, MikeMcCallowitz.com. But 
no one could spell it, and uh, it's a horrible last name. But Mike Motorbike was a nickname of mine from grade school. So if you go to MikeMotorbike.com, there's a marketing technique. Make it accessible, easy, and memorable, different. MikeMotorbike.com is my website. And uh, actually, you'll see me on a motorcycle when you go to MikeMotorbike.com, even though I don't drive a motorcycle. <laughs> on there, I have all uh, my books, free chapter downloads. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. You can get that content, too, and my podcast at MikeMotorbike.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mr. Michalowicz, thank you so much for being on the show, Mike. This has been fantastic. Thank you, brother. This has been a real joy. And thank you all for taking Mike and I on your journey. Make sure to go check out uh, MikeMotorbike.com. And uh, this has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 